Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Bible Quest, the Tuesday edition. We're glad you're able to join us today. I'm your host, Drew DeGrotto. In a minute, I'll bring in uh, the panelists. Jonathan, good to see you. How are you today? I'm doing really well. How are you guys doing? Good. Uh, now, Stephen, you weren't here last week, so we're expecting you to ask a lot of questions what we talked about last week so we can That's reinforce right. those questions. I'll, I'll just play dumb this week and I'll ask all the obvious questions that you've already answered. And you can be like, Stephen, where yeah. were you last week? Yeah, yeah, no, we won't do that. But what I will say that, good, if you ask questions that we had last week, then I'll be able to answer them because we talked about them. So I'm hoping you do ask all your questions. All right, great. There you go. And uh, Scott, our program director. Scott, how you doing? I'm doing okay, Drew. How are you? Doing very well, thank you. We have a lot of people that download our, our recording in the podcast version of the of the uh, Bible Quest program, and we're very happy that you're doing that. We have a large audience there too, and since you're listening to it uh, on a podcast, you don't have the opportunity to ask us questions during the live presentation of the program. But we do want to encourage you that uh, when you have an opportunity, go to BibleQuest.tv and uh, fill out the uh, contact form question form there if you do have questions or you have something else you want to talk about not just what we're talking about today uh, so with that said uh, Scott why don't you pick up where where you wanted to start off with today okay so our question last week was that we we're, we're getting to toward the end I guess there were several things we talked about last week but what is the gift of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 verse 38 and just to recap briefly, we looked at three possibilities. Uh, first, grammatically, gift of the Holy Spirit could grammatically be taken in which two ways? It's either it's a gift that is from the Holy Spirit or it is the Holy Spirit. Yes, that's right. Um, and so uh, one view is that the gift of the Holy Spirit is salvation. Uh, one view is that the gift of the Spirit is the Word. One view is the gift of the Holy Spirit is the, the, the same thing that we read in other passages where it talks about in 1 Corinthians 16, knowing not that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, which dwells in you. Uh, Romans 8, if the Spirit of Christ is in you, etc., etc. Um, I gave my... Uh, thoughts on it, which may be right or wrong, that although the Holy Spirit is involved in confirming the message of our salvation and revealing the message of our salvation, I would find it striking in a lesson where uh, Peter has led up through the resurrection of Jesus Christ and said, you killed the Messiah. What do you need to do? Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ to attribute salvation to the Holy Spirit rather than it would seem more likely that's a gift of Christ, or as John 3.16, a gift of the Father, and that the Father gave his son. Um, so I think that's less likely. Let me, if, let, let me, let me clarify yeah. that, So, because uh, so, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure I understand completely. So you're saying you're not looking at the gift of the Holy Spirit as salvation because it's more attributed to Christ than what he did on the cross. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah I think if, if Peter was trying to say salvation, he could have either said salvation, which is also in the term remission of sins, or the gift of Christ, right. or it's the gift of God. You know, like, like in Ephesians 2, you know, you're saved by grace. It, it is a gift, etc. The, the, the Spirit is not, when we look at the roles of the Father, Son, and the Spirit, who dies on the cross? Jesus. The Son. The, who paid for our sins? Jesus, Jesus, who sent him to pay for our sins. The Father. Uh, the Spirit, among other roles, his role is in giving the prophecies of it ahead of time, giving the miracles through which Jesus was seen to be the Son of God. Uh, I believe the Spirit is involved in his resurrection. And then in Hebrews 2, confirming the message through signs and wonders. So revelation and confirmation are largely... So I, I just... So it seems to me it's, that to to call say that salvation that Peter would pick the way to describe salvation as being a gift of the Spirit. It seems more likely you would call that a gift of Christ or a gift of the Father. That's all I'm saying. Right. 
Uh, the next one was the Word, uh, and there's certainly clear relationships between the Spirit and the Word, and passages where they're used somewhat interchangeably, uh, like in Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5. But in the context of Acts 2, the apostles had been speaking by the Spirit. Spirit. And after his speech, he said, listen, Israel, hear, and he gives him the word, and he gives him prophecies from the Old Testament about the Holy Spirit and about calling on the name of the Lord and about the resurrection of Christ. And after, as he goes through all this and lays out the word, he said, now know for sure that God made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you, you crucified. Now he's speaking by the Spirit. The prophecies came by the Spirit, et cetera, et cetera. But he's given them the word. And they said, when they heard this, they said, what do we need to do? So it seemed to be strange for him to say, well, repent and be baptized and you'll receive the word. Uh, right. the word. And again, in, in two verses down or so, those that received his word got baptized, not those that got baptized then received the word those that had received the word got baptized. So I don't believe here it means the word. So I'm inclined to believe it, it relates to these other passages, however you might understand them to be, that the spirit of God dwells in us. Stephen. Did you guys talk last week about the idea of like God moving into his temple in Acts 2? No, and go ahead and talk about that. Yeah, so just something that has helped me a little bit in this is, you guys remember God's dwelling place in the Old Testament. So you first you've got the tabernacle, and the end of Exodus, when they build the tabernacle, what happens at the very end? The God, of God moves in to his temple, and the glory of the Lord fills the temple. And there's, how is that manifested? They know God's there because of the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, right? So you've got this idea of God filling his temple dwelling there. And then the temple, Solomon builds the temple, you know, centuries later. And what happens when he builds the temple? God moves in, the glory of the Lord fills it. You got the manifestation of God there. Um, when they rebuild the temple in the days of Zerubbabel, interestingly, there's not any mention of the glory of the Lord filling that temple, which is kind of a deafening silence uh, of uh, that. But then you have Jesus coming to the temple. And then interestingly here in Acts chapter two, when the Holy Spirit falls on the 12 and they begin speaking in other languages, it says that divided tongues as a fire appeared on them and rested on them. Oh, uh -huh. And this may be a connection for the Jews that, wait a minute, like there's some kind of glory going yeah. on here. Yeah. There's a little mini pillars of fire like, like showing that. up on these guys. And so it's like God is moving into his new temple, which is not a temple made with hands. It is his people, and, and we're going to see that throughout the rest of the New Testament, that his people are described as a spiritual house being built up. And so it makes sense that you've got God moving into his new temple in Acts 2, and Peter is saying, hey, you repent, you be baptized, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit will dwell in you as God's new temple, and that just fits with everything else we see in the New Testament about God dwelling with us. Oh, I just got to say thank you, Stephen. I've never put that together with the what appears to be fire it didn't call a fire but something that appeared to be fire over them and the connection that the jews would have had i i just never thought of that this is the first time i'm ever hearing that that's that's fantastic thank you i like that a lot i, I studied this passage for years until somebody pointed that out and i was like <laughs> oh yeah like that, like that makes a lot of sense when you put those things together yeah. and it makes a lot more sense of like why the tongues of fire like that always kind of confused me yeah um, specifically but, tongues of fire and that's okay well, Lord, right but when you, you put want. that together with the old testament it's like oh yeah and then you put it together that fits with what it says later about we are a spiritual house we are the temple coming in let's yeah. take a look at it here in ephesians 2 on the screen uh somebody read uh, 19 through 22 for us please now therefore it Ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the, the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an, a habit, an habitation of God through the Spirit. 
Very good. I like that. That fits quick, really well together. Quick aside question before we move back to X238 in the chart that we were about to put up at the end of last week. Um, so as Stephen pointed out, when the tabernacle is built, you've got that manifestation over it showing that God's there. And then when Solomon builds the temple, but when Zerubbabel builds the temple, Stephen's right. We don't have a mention of that being done. So the question is, does that mean that God wasn't pleased with Zerubbabel's temple or did not want Zerubbabel's temple or did not accept? I don't think so. I mean, we see the blessing of the Lord uh, on the, the returning remnant that God is with them. Um, you read the book of Haggai and God is wanting his house to be rebuilt. He says, exactly. stop dwelling on your paneled houses while my house is in ruins. Um, the prophets are very clear that God wants his house to be rebuilt. Yes. Uh, yeah, I don't know if this will sidetrack you if you from, from the, the next direction you're going in with the topic, but this may segue in or you might want to bring it up later. Perry asks a question. If we are saved from sins via Jesus's blood, could we be saved from spiritual death via the Holy Spirit through spiritual resurrection, being born again and such? Well, the Spirit is clearly involved. Um, like, let's take let's take a Titus for example for an example here. Titus chapter two, and I'm going to switch over to the ESV. Thank you. I had a hard time. I was going to say, Drew did a good job handling. Yeah, but I yeah the, the King James version of me just don't get along. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have a hard time with English as it is. Never mind ancient English. All those years that you performed Shakespeare and, you know. <laughs> yeah, right. All right. So let's notice here in Titus 2, I, there is so much crammed in the end of Titus 2 and the beginning of Titus 3. Very, very helpful text. Verse 11 of Titus 2. The grace has appeared bringing salvation. It's the grace of who? Grace of God. God. Grace of God in this text. The grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly possessions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is by God's grace uh, that he's given and the one that is the Savior is Jesus, who gave himself for us. The Father isn't nailed to the cross. The Spirit is not nailed to the cross. It's Jesus that is nailed to the cross to redeem us. And by the way, this is helpful. Sometimes there's been uh, confusion and in recent and in past centuries, early centuries, over what we're being redeemed from. Uh, Somebody that we're being redeemed from the devil. We're being redeemed from lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good works. And then continuing into chapter three, and here we'll have the spirit mentioned, remind them to be submissive to rulers, authorities, etc. Verse three, for we ourselves used to be what? Foolish, disobedient led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Wow. But when the goodness and kindness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness. That doesn't atone for our sins. That doesn't redeem us. By the way, side point, we're going to have a lot of side points today. This is an excellent passage to help understand grace and works. Over and over and over here, he talks about the importance of works and doing good works and such, but that's not where the atonement is. That's not where the redemption is. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration. Washing of regeneration. What would that washing be? Baptism. Yeah. And the renewal of the Holy Spirit, renewal of the Holy Spirit, um, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Savior. 
Uh, Perry also mentioned uh, the role in resurrection. If we jump over and we're getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah, are you going to go back to that? You explain, scroll back down to that verse again. We talked about renewal. Yeah. I'm going to just raise the question. You can answer it later. But you, you explained, well, you asked the question by the washing of regeneration. And you asked, what's the washing? And everyone said the watery grave, the bapti uh, baptism, and then renewal of the Holy Spirit. I hope you go into what renewal of the Holy Spirit. All right, let's let's do this. Uh, and by the way, I don't want to get off track with the question that Perry put. We're already off track. We're in the weeds. Let's just like on. Um, <laughs> so, as we go through this, let's be careful not to put God in a box. Um, and so. There, there's more going on spiritually than I think we can exhaust in our descriptions. But looking from scripture at some primary things, let's pay attention to this. Okay, Titus 3, 5. It mentions two things involved here in regeneration. On and, our side, only two, but yes. there's something else on the Lord's side. Well, uh, renewal of the Holy Spirit, it, it comes from the Lord, and re regeneration, he's the one that begats us again. Okay, okay. But let's pay attention here because there's a very interesting parallel with another text that is in a chapter 3 and a verse 5. And to help remind us of that, let's think about this word regeneration. What's the idea of regeneration? Starting back over, I mean, you see the word genesis in there. Um, so it's like, regenerating something or the idea of uh something being resurrected is, is okay that idea life life again all right very good so let's look at some other passages on that line that talk about water and the spirit can you t-ball here can you think of a biblical passage that ends with a three five chapter three verse five <laughs> talks about a new life and it involves water in the spirit. John 3 5. Yeah. So let's jump back there. Oh, I did John 35. <laughs> I won't get you anywhere. You just struck out at biblical T ball. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. I'm kicked off the T ball team. Uh, somebody go through this briefly with us. So in John 3, Jesus is talking with Nicodemus, a uh, ruler of the Jews, a Pharisee. And uh, he comes to Jesus saying, nobody can do these signs unless God is with him. And Jesus, very surprisingly, su responds, you got to start over. You need to be born again. And he tells him in verse 5, after Nicodemus is a bit confused, you know, how can someone enter into their mother's womb a second time? Jesus says in John 3, verse 5, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And he goes on to talk more about that in this context. But in the context of John 3, the very next story after Jesus finishes talking with Nicodemus is about Jesus baptizing. In John uh, 3 and verse 22, after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John was also, John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized. And then in chapter 4, the Pharisees hear that Jesus is baptizing more people than John is. So let's break this down a little bit here. We've got to be born again. Nicodemus is you really can't get back inside the womb, right? This is being born again of water and of the spirit. So what would be some passages you would go to very quickly to illustrate that water is where we are born again? Philip, the flip, yeah, the eunuch with Philip. Yes, that's certainly what happens, but it doesn't mention being born again. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. As Romans chapter six, in yeah. uh, verse four, where he's talking, well, in the whole first few verses of Romans chapter six, uh, Paul starts answering this question that could potentially come up when he's talking about grace and how God's grace is what saves us. And he, he makes the point, you can't continue to sin so that grace may abound. You have to stop sinning. And as proof of that and kind of showing that, 
Uh, he says in verse three, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized have been baptized in, uh, into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. We were buried therefore with him in baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised by, from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. There you go. See that newness of life. What happened to the old man? Verse six. He was crucified. Yeah. The old man is crucified with him. And then what's done with that corpse? Buried in the water. Yeah. Buried with him by baptism. And what is to come up? A new person. A new, new creature. Yeah. yeah. Raised from the dead by the glory of the Father to walk in new life. So even though the word born again isn't there, wow. <laughs> Your old self ends buried and risen as a new self in newness of life. So watch that newness of life, that born again and regeneration and renewing. Okay, so clearly baptism and Titus 3 is the next passage that shows that water is where we're regenerated because he says, you're saved not by works that you did in your own righteousness, but by God's grace through the washing of regeneration, which side point again shows that Paul doesn't consider baptism to be just some good deed of man to merit salvation that's the, the, it's a work of god sub, that we submit ourselves to drew and then Stephen. yeah i just want to uh, emphasize more on the word newness of life um nicodemus understood that born being born is a new life he said you can't go back and do it again that, that, yeah. that's not the way to do it and jesus says you're right but right. this is the, when you're born you're new right Stephen. Yeah, I mean, this is also parallel with the text we're talking about. Peter says, repent and be baptized. Good segue back In the there. name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, you're starting back over, your slate is wiped clean, you know, uh, washing of regeneration, you're baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, so washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit also parallel right into Acts 2.38. So back here in John 3.5, we've established that born of water is baptism. What is being born again of the Spirit? So for this, here's what I want us to look for. Born again is a very important biblical expression, but it is not used much in the Bible. It's used very much today more often than it's used in the Bible. My point is not, oh, we shouldn't say it because it's only in the Bible a few times. Uh, taking Lord's Supper on Sunday is only in the Bible once specifically, but that doesn't mean it's not important. Um, sorry about the motorcycle, whatever that was. My point is this, if we want to understand being born again, there's not many passages that mention it. And so let's pay attention to the ones that do. Jesus doesn't mention, I can't think of any other time in the Gospels where Jesus mentions born again. Peter talks about being born again. Are we so adding the word again where the scriptures don't use the word again? Actually, it, it just depends on your translation. Oh, okay. um, like, like right here, um, Jesus said right here. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is... Okay, it does say it there. Here. Okay, right. Now, there's a footnote. Um, some people may translate it from above, uh, but right there is born again. Um, all right, so um, where does Peter talk about being born again? Is it twice in chapter 1 of his first letter, 1 Peter 1, 3, and 1 Peter 1, 23? All right, very good. So let's look at the first one. First Peter chapter one, see what we can nail down about being born again. All right, so right there it is. Uh, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again, born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Okay, so it's by God's mercy and it's toward a living hope but is he does he detail how we're born again not there right but now let's scroll down to that next text 
and we have what right here in 23 and 24? What have we been born again by? Through the living and abiding word of God. Yeah. You have been born again, not of parable seed, but of unperishable seed, through the living and abiding word of God. So if you remember diagramming in school, let's take out that middle clause and get the main thought or the, the, the thought beginning and end. You have been born again through the word. We we're born again through the word. Uh, in fact, what made it possible for the 3000 on the day of Pentecost to find out that Jesus was the Messiah, the word which was also confirmed by the Spirit through the times. He's revealing and confirming it. And although Jesus is the one that died on the cross, without the Holy Spirit's revealing of that message and confirming of that message, the four of us and everybody in the audience would know nothing about it. Without the Holy Spirit, none of us would know that Jesus ever lived, died, and rose again. And so we're born again through the word. Where else? Let's look at James. Does anybody remember where James describes the, the, the idea of new birth in chapter one? Yeah, it's in chapter one. Yeah, there's new birth. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Drew. Yeah. <laughs> All right, there's two births, two conceptions and births in James one. What's the first one? Verse 15, uh, verse uh, 14 and 15, each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And yeah, contrast that with, right, and the contrast to that is in verse 18, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. Yeah, so if we want to be lost... Let lust conceive and bring forth sin and follow that into death if you want to be lost. But if you don't want to be lost, do this. I, I like this phrase down here. Um, where is it? Oh, yeah. Receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. And it says right here, he brought us forth by the word. And even the prophecies like the Psalm 16 and the uh, Joel 2. Second Peter 1.21 says that those prophecies didn't come by private interpretation, but they came by inspiration. The whole, yeah, by the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Yeah, by the Spirit. And Terry also mentioned, like, in the resurrection, I, I think in, oh, and let's just, before we leave this, again, Titus 3. Uh, Begatus again, through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so, and let, let's add one more text before we get to our chart that we were going to start with. All right, Romans 8, because uh, uh, Perry had mentioned the idea of resurrection here. Uh, notice this section, there's no condemnation to those in Christ, for the law of the spirit of life is set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. And it talks here about if Christ is in you, and it says, if the Spirit of God dwells in you, and it says, the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. Through what? Spirit. Through his Spirit. One idea that we want to be careful not to do there's lots of misconceptions of the Holy Spirit, and people attribute things to the Holy Spirit all the time that the Holy Spirit is not doing. Occasionally, somebody says, the Holy Spirit doesn't do anything except did some miracles and gave revelation, and then he retired. No. Uh, right here, what are we going to be resurrected by? God's Holy Spirit. Yes. And later in the chapter, what does he continually do for us? He intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. Yeah, so somebody read that for us and feel free to make whatever comments you want to make there in 26. 
Verse 26, likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Yeah. A great comfort when we're praying and we don't know what to pray for um, in a way that the spirit, he is active in our lives, active in our prayers that uh, it's okay when you don't have the right words, um, that the Holy Spirit is interceding for us with groanings too deep for words. So I want to, let me, I've got a story I'd like to share if we have time. I think we've got time. Let me share because we're talking about some important things here, but there's also, how, how often have you guys run into this? You're trying to study the word with somebody. The word, the implanted word we are to receive, the the word that tells us of Christ, the uh, word with which people can be began again, et cetera, et cetera. And it's the word of the spirit. And you're trying to study the scriptures with somebody and they start talking to you about the whole, what the Holy Spirit told them. You guys had that happen? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So one of the problems here, and, and, and a lot of people think that's what being led by the spirit is, you know, you know, if your Cheerios line up a certain way, you know, that's the Holy Spirit leading you to do this or, or, or whatever. Uh, don't have time to go into this, but on the phrase led by the Holy Spirit, if you will go to YouTube and click three minute Bible study led by the Spirit. Uh, I cover that there. And just to sum it up, Paul only used the phrase led by the Spirit of Christians in two places. In fact, in the New Testament, it's only used in two places, Romans 8 and Galatians 5. Those passages are not talking about the way people say led by the Spirit today. I'm gonna to leave that aside for the moment, but I wanna share this story. So I'm talking with this guy, I think his name was Larry or Harry, I don't remember which, so I'm gonna go with Larry. And as we were talking, uh, he was uh, from the United Pentecostal Church, which degrees, disagrees significantly from the Assemblies of God. They're both Pentecostal. But as we're talking, uh, and he thinks the Assembly of God teaches salvation wrong, et cetera, et cetera. He doesn't uh, accept their teachings. But as we're talking, he says, he believes he speaks in tongues. I said, well, the Assembly of God says that they speak in tongues too. He says, oh yeah, I, I, I think they do. I said, why would God, if they're teaching a false system of salvation, which you believe, why would God confirm it by giving them speaking in tongues? And this is what Larry said. Larry said, the Holy Spirit just told me. Oh, no. Remember the sons of Sceva? They weren't Christians, but they could still do the miracles. I'm going to say it again. Larry says, oh, the Holy Spirit just told me the sons of Sceva weren't Christians, but they could do miracles. Your response. The Holy Spirit revealed that the sons of Sceva couldn't do the miracles in Acts chapter 19. <laughs> right. Well, because they tried to, they said, in the name of Jesus Christ that Paul preaches, come out. And the evil spirit said what? We don't know who you are. We know Paul, but we don't know who you are. Get out of here. <laughs> and what did they do to facilitate his getting out of it? They ran out naked. <laughs> they beat him up. And, uh, and he ran out naked. Um, and this became widely known. So what do you suppose my point was to Larry? It sounds like uh, the Holy Spirit just contradicted himself, if that's what happened. <laughs> do we think the Holy Spirit forgot what happened to Ephesus? Uh, not at all. Who forgot what happened to Ephesus? That fellow that was trying to tell you something, he forgot yeah. what he read and he mixed it up. Yeah, Larry forgot what happened in Acts 19. But when he remembered something, when some neurons made a connection, and one neuron said, oh, hey, what about Sons of Sceva? He went with it and assumed that was the Holy Spirit. And that's what people do all the time. Don't do that listen to scripture. If you're an apostle and you're given revelation to the Holy Spirit, that's something different. 
So wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you saying then, because I didn't realize that you're saying that some people all of a sudden will get an idea and they'll uh, 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 credit the Holy Spirit oh, that just gave them? Oh, I've had people, I've had, I had a guy tell me, you know, I was on the, I forgot if it was Wendy's or Burger King in order. So I'm going to say one order. It might've been the other. He said, I was on the way to Burger King. And then I just felt led to go to Wendy's instead. I thought, well, maybe I need to witness to somebody there. And that's a lot of people's impersonation. that, you know, it's like you get a hunch, you have a feeling you, what do, what do Mormons say? when they try to tell you Joseph Smith was a prophet. How do they know Joseph Smith was a prophet? Feel the burning, got, feel the yeah. burning in their bosom. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe that was excitement. You know, uh, uh, you may have had burning in your bosom from some spicy pizza, but you know, not every feeling that we have uh, is the Holy Spirit. That's not how the Holy Spirit's communicating. In fact, Hebrews 1, in time past, God communicated various ways, but in these days, he communicated to us through his son. And Jesus commissioned his apostles, and we have Ephesians 2, passage you read before, God revealed his, uh, the gospel through the Holy Spirit to his apostles and prophets. They write it down, we can read and understand. So you're, you're, you're talking about free will, you're talking about someone gets an idea or thought or something just there's a question that relates to that. I don't want to get you sidetracked. Not that you're not sidetracked. Already, well, we, but we were going, I, we were going to finish up that chart. That, that's okay. Well, hold on. We got next week. We got next week. But let me, uh, CJ asked the question. She said, did Judas have free will when he betrayed Jesus? He quoted Luke 23, I'm sorry, 22, three, when Satan entered into Judas. Oh, very good. What do you think guys? Did Judas have free will? Uh, yeah. Scriptures would you use? Well, one one uh, comes to mind. God wants everyone to be saved. Doesn't want any to perish. So you, you have free will, but you got to do something on your own. I don't know if that's a direct uh, response. There's to the principle. So Second Peter three, God would have all to be saved. What else? He also mentions Judas. Um, there's a lot we don't know about the whole storyline, but in John 12 and verse 6, we find out that it's Judas who's complaining about this lady who has brought the expensive ointment to anoint Jesus. And he said, oh, this could have been sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor. And John notes, verse 6, he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Right. So what is that, that? Gives, that tells you his character. Yes. And that's, he chose to do those kinds of things. But now back to your question, it just hit me. You know, it wasn't the Holy Spirit. I remembered this. Joshua 24, 24. He said, you have a choice. You want to follow God or not? You can follow the gods of this land. For me and my household, I'll paraphrase it, we're going to, we choose to follow God. So it's got a choice. And from the same, go ahead, Jonathan. Uh, going along off of what Stephen pointed out, where you get kind of a glimpse into Judas's character that he was a greedy person that was just always trying to make extra money and stealing from his closest associates. Um, in Matthew chapter 27, you get more of a picture of the narrative when after Jesus is arrested and condemned and he's not escaping, like Judas had probably seen him do before when the Pharisees had tried to kill him and he just passed through the crowds and, and get out of their hands time and time again. I assume that in Judas's head, he's thinking, here's a good way for me to get some money. I can get some money from the you know, priest and Jesus will just escape again. No big deal. But then you see after Jesus or Judas realizes that Jesus, Jesus was condemned in chapter Matthew 27, verse three, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver and tried to, you know, reverse it. So it wasn't just like this, like, I want to kill Jesus kind of thing. And, and Satan just took him over. Uh, it was in that's me kind of connecting the dots from those details, but that's kind of what I see uh, in what happened. Really interesting. And like you say, the scripture doesn't say what Judas is thinking is, but if it was that, that certainly fits and it fits with what he was doing before. He's helping as a disciple, but while he's helping, he's wanting to what? Help himself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
And I mean, this does actually in some ways tie into this conversation we're having about the gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, if, if God's Spirit is working through us, it doesn't mean that he takes us over and like, or, you know, manual override and like, okay, now like you're no longer in the driver's seat. Uh, Satan doesn't do that either. Um, in, in John 13 and verse 2, uh, it says, During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Um, the devil can present ideas to us in one way or another. The Lord can present ideas to us in one way or another, primarily through the word. But it's still our hearts that are in control of our decisions. And in the case of Judas, he had the choice to do this. And he had already developed a corrupt character that was ripe for Satan to use to steer him down the wrong road. Yeah. And the Lord knew this, and the Lord picked Judas, knowing yeah. what was going to happen. Judas fulfills prophecy by betraying Jesus. There's various Psalms that are quoted about Judas and his betrayal of Jesus. That didn't mean that Judas had no say in the matter, and he was just put there to be framed and, you know. No, Judas, his heart had a choice, and he had been making choices for a long time that led up to Satan using him to uh to commit this absolutely i want to ask one more question is on this and then we got three minutes left and i want to get that chart up that we didn't get up at the last time so after that we'll get that chart up are you gonna rush through that chart? yes we're gonna okay. and we'll go a minute or two over time okay but real quickly on this um thing of you know did i not choose you john six and yet one of them is a devil there was another man that God used, and it's back in the days of Joshua, in Joshua's youth, where God used an evil man to accomplish his purpose. Who is that? Pharaoh. Yeah. Yeah. For this, uh, Romans 9 says, for this very purpose did I raise you up. Did God take a humble, humble, godly man and make him be bad? No. No, he took an arrogant man and... Used, allowed him to be himself and, and used him to you know uh let god display his power which is why sometimes the text says god hardened his heart but the other times the text says pharaoh hardened his heart yeah all right so real quickly now let's get this uh chart up here and please notice what it says this chart is we don't what? see it i don't do oh. we see it i don't see it yet oh, let me try it again There you go. All right, right there. What is this chart? It's incomplete. It is also Ex inexhaustive. And it is also fallible. Yes. So, so why are you showing this to us? Well, because <laughs> I'm giving you a hard time. Go, go, go. It help us, you know, think about it. All right. Well, so, wait a minute. The reason it's all of those things is because we're talking about the Holy Spirit, and there's a lot of unknowns about the Holy Spirit. Well, the reason it's all those things is because I wrote it instead of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. He's praising right. the Holy Spirit. Um, but notice these three things here: Holy Spirit baptism. Um, what two places in the Book of Acts do we see something in the Book of Acts? states it to be Holy Spirit baptism? Only two places, once with the apostles, then once later on in Cornelius. Yeah, and the statement for Acts 2 is in the previous chapter. Jesus said, wait here in Jerusalem until you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. Right. Yeah, and in Acts 10, it's in the follow-up chapter where, P where Peter's going to say, while I was talking, the Holy Spirit fell on them the way it did on us back at the beginning. And I remembered that the Lord said, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. All right. So we have those phrases there. That doesn't mean there was never any other baptism of the Holy Spirit. For example, was Paul baptized with the Holy Spirit? Um, but we know those are the two times in the book of Acts where it says it was baptism with the Holy Spirit. Column number two, when the apostles on in Acts 2, and when Cornelius received it, how did they receive it? Oh, on them directly. Yeah. Did the apostles know it was going to come sometime? Yeah. 
Yeah, not many days from now, but they're waiting and waiting and waiting and, and suddenly, in fact, does Acts 2 even use the word suddenly? I believe so, I don't remember. Well, while you're still looking that up, uh, Peter Acts 2, two suddenly. All right, suddenly, boom. And when Cornel, is Peter done with his sermon? And then he says, and now we'll all stand and sing while the Holy Spirit baptizes you. No. <laughs> he's in the bed. He, he said, while I was beginning my sermon, bam. Right? Was it accompanied by miraculous powers? Yes. Okay. Line number two gifts of the Holy Spirit. Many people during the apostolic age had miraculous gifts of the Spirit. And Stephen, as you mentioned also in Romans 12, non miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit, like you know, whatever gift you have, if you're going to give, give. If you're going to encourage, encourage. But there were nine gifts mentioned in First Corinthians that were connected to the miraculous. Somebody mention a few of those real quick. Speaking in tongues, prophecy. Healing. Um, yeah, yeah. And those came uh, in Acts uh, 19 when Paul found some people that hadn't been baptized in Christ yet. First, he baptized them in Christ, and then he did what with his hands? Laid his hands on them. Laid his hands on them, and they received the, uh, the Spirit and started prophesying and speaking in tongues. What caused Simon the sorcerer, the old magician, to get ready to write out, or, well, they didn't have checks, but get ready to pay some good money for the power of the Spirit when he, he saw that what happened in Acts 8. He saw that it took the apostles to physically do something for that spirit in that yeah. mode of miraculous power to be administered. Yeah, when he saw that it came through the laying on of the apostles' hands. And he knew it had to be them because Philip was there earlier doing miracles and Philip didn't have the power to do that. Yeah, he could do it, but he couldn't pass it on. The apostles right. did right. there. And in 2 Timothy 1.6, Timothy had a gift that, Paul, that was through the laying on of Paul's hands. Also, won't get into discussing this, through the laying of Paul's hands elsewhere with the laying on the hands of the presbytery. Uh, was this miraculous? Yes. And lastly, in my uh, opinion is that gift of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2.38 is parallel to indwelling of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 6 or Romans 8. I could be wrong on that. But if that's the case, this is for disciples generally. Because Acts 2 said what? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and the promise is to you and your children, all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. And then what did they do? They repented, and they were baptized. Did this mean that they were necessarily going to do miracles? After they were baptized, it said those that received his word were baptized, and it says, so now you have 3,120, because it was 120 in the room. But who's doing the miracles? The apostles. Yeah, and who's watching? The 3,000. Yeah, yeah. So that this is not exhaustive. Let's throw out here in our closing, let's try to finish within 60 seconds here, because we're already over. I'm going to throw out a couple of things that are not summed up in this chart. You know, what about Paul? Uh, Ananias said he's seen a vision of a man coming and he would receive his sight and receive the Holy Spirit. You know, where does that fit in on this? Uh, when Jesus says, uh, seek and you shall find, ask. You know, God gives the Spirit to those that ask. Uh, there's Acts 5.32. I think this would fit into the bottom category. The, God gives the Holy Spirit to those that obey him. Um, and there can be some other things, but I'm going to be quiet now. Let you guys have final thoughts. Crickets. Uh, I think that's a pretty good summary, Scott. You've answered all of my questions. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I have no questions. <laughs> but we got, we hopefully, and thanks for all the help and the good comments and points. And uh, I like that thing about the fire over the apostle's head and everything. Yeah, uh, hopefully this is given us more to think about. And um, uh, thank you very much. I just want to say that this, this conversation uh, 
came about because someone in the audience had asked us a question. So we want more questions, ask us questions and let us then dig into, see if we can find the answers as they're revealed to us in the scriptures. But before Jonathan closes us out, I know we're late, but this is an important, I gotta, I gotta announce this. Oh yeah. Um, there's a programming change. <laughs> I'll be leaving the program. I don't know how long I'll be out of the program with you guys. It's gonna be the three of you. And uh, I really enjoyed doing this, but uh, my schedule has just changed. It's going to give me a little bit of a difficulty to continue with the program. And uh, as you know, I preached in the morning Sundays at the church that I worship and work with up in Holmesdale, Pennsylvania. I also teach uh, Sunday, uh, preach Sunday evenings at a, a Church of Christ in Scranton. And I also teach there on uh, Wednesday evenings. And I was just now invited by the state uh, prison, the uh, Waymar, Pennsylvania State Prison, to be a part of their chaplain program. And I was just thrilled for that opportunity. And so I'm doing it, I'm going to take the opportunity. It's, it's putting about an extra five hours a week on, on work, not to mention prep work, but five hours at the prison. So that's going to put a little strain on me in the near future. So I'm not sure this is going to happen in one, two or three weeks, but I most likely will be here next week. But I just wanted to give you guys and, and the audience too, I said, well, where did Drew go? He's no longer there. I just want everyone to know. And I do thank you though for, for letting me be a part of this, this great program. And the exciting thing is because now you're going to have more hours to teach there. So you've had X number of hours that you were allowed to go in and teach. And now you're going to have how many hours on Sunday are they going to give you in the afternoon? Three, three hours on Sunday afternoon to be to do the service, the sermon, and then they're giving me a couple more hours during the week to carry out Bible classes. Now, yeah. I was okay. doing volunteer work there last year before COVID-19 hit. But then the head chaplain wanted me to say, will you consider a, a contract? We'll give you more hours than just what you were doing. Yeah. So your, your opportunity, both the time that you're going to be able to teach at the prison and also a bigger audience yes. uh, that this opportunity is going to be able to grant. That's Believe it or not, there's about 30, somewhere between 30 and 40 uh, men who are, call themselves Christians and are trying to learn the word. And, and know it. They they found the Lord Jesus Christ, and they worship on Sundays. Now they were worshiping on Sunday evening, in a somewhat of a non-denominational form, uh, around six o'clock. But they knew my schedule. The the chaplain there knew my schedule, so they're accommodating me so that I, they can put me in starting at one thirty in the afternoon. So in between Scranton and Pennsylvania, I'll be over there. Well, we're happy for you to have the opportunity to get in there and help them grow an understanding in the work. Right. All right. Well, thank you guys for your discussion today. And thank you, Drew, for uh, doing this with us. And Drew is still going to be handling a lot of the things behind the scenes for us and taking care of the podcast that none of us know how to do. So we're <laughs> thankful for that, Drew. Yeah, I'll still do uh, that. Just give me the links and I'll put it, make sure everything's published. Okay. Uh, so thank you all for your uh, participation, for your uh, comments and your questions. Again, to our audience, if you have some more questions um, that you want to submit, you can do that to BibleQuest.tv and we'd be happy to talk about that in our future episodes, but we will see you all next week, Lord willing.